Welcome again, everybody, whether you're watching from home or whether you're here with us. Thank you for hanging out with us if you're here, and thank you for hanging out with us online. Um, one uh, other quick announcement um, to add to Michelle's is um, we have Easter coming up. If you guys knew that, but Easter is coming up. And what we will be doing for Easter is we will be outside. So that means everyone that's at home, um, there'll be plenty of space. Um, we will still have um, Impact Kids. We'll have that inside. We'll actually have it in this big hall uh, where the kids will be, so there'll be plenty of space for that. Um, but we'll be doing Easter service outside, assuming the weather cooperates. We're just praying that the weather cooperates. So prayer request for the next month is that the weather cooperates. Okay, everyone pray for that. Um, but for Easter, yeah, we will be outside. Um, so we have plenty of space for everybody because we want to make sure that we're still able to social distance, all the things we're supposed to do. And um, on Easter, we will not only have impact kids, but we will also have nursery available. So if you have um, nursery age kids, then you're in luck because we'll have nursery starting then. And our hope, um, one thing I wanted to add, uh, our hope is to start nursery back up starting Easter and continuing on. However, we cannot start nursery if we don't get a couple more people to serve and impact kids. So I do want to mention that. I want to um, ask anyone that's watching from home or that's here, um, even if you're not coming back yet, but you're planning on coming back soon, and that would be something you'd be interested in, please let us know. Um, I am not willing to sacrifice the Impact Kid uh, team members we have upstairs for nursery, which is what I would have to do in order to do it. Uh, we need at least one or two more people that are willing to serve in that area for um, twice a month. We're very strict up there where we only allow people to serve twice in a month, so that way they can actually be in service down here. Um, and the only way we would be able to possibly do nursery on a weekly basis right now um, with the current amount of team members we have is if we ask them to serve every week, and I'm not willing to do that. Um, I refuse to do that. So um, if we want to open nursery back up, then that is something that we need to start doing. So if that is you and you're interested and you want to hear more about it, or maybe you're like, That's, I, I want to serve in nursery eventually. If you're at home, you're like, I want to serve... Um, when we're back, and we're planning on coming back at some certain point, um, then please let myself know. You can let Summer know. You can let Sarah know. Um, let us know. We, we uh, would love some more people. But we will definitely have nursery on Easter, and my hope is that we will have nursery from Easter on. Um, but that is up to all of you, really, um, if, for us to do that. So um, Easter is coming up. The date for that is April 4th, so uh, the first Sunday in April. So uh, mark that on your calendars. We will be outside. We're going to have a lot of fun. Um, we're going to start a brand new series today called New. Um, is there a better feeling than getting something new, like getting a new thing? Like, I, I might like it more than you do, but I just love getting something new, whether it's a new house, whether it's new technology, whether it's a new car. Um, something new, it just gives you that, like, endorphin hit, if you know what I'm saying. Like, it just, it feels good. And I have a personality where, like, when that new thing shows up, I get super excited about it, and I immediately want to, like, grab it. I want to show everybody. Like for, I've, I remember getting um, a new iPhone. Uh, I remember one time, it was, I think Eric and I were, were only dating um, at the time, and the iPhone 6, let's say, um, came out. And um, my dad called and said, hey, your phone showed up today in the mail. And I went, oh, really? All right, Erica, I got to go because I got to get that phone because I have to have it right now. I can't wait for hours to get it. I needed that new phone right now, and I was playing with it all, all night. I loved it. I remember I got um, the first car I ever bought was a Dodge Caliber. And it was, all right, relax. And it was, it was bright blue. Like, I don't really know what I was thinking, but I remember being so excited about this bright blue, I had friends that called it the, uh, the Mary Kay car, um, this bright blue Dodge Caliber, and I drove, I was like, I'm always driving, because I want to drive everybody around this car. I had this new car I wanted to show everybody. I remember when Eric and I moved into our um, 
to our uh, first home, the first home that we bought. It was a townhouse in Elkridge, and we were so excited. We were having people over all the time, uh, mainly to help us unpack, but also to show them the house. We were so excited for it. But what is the problem with getting something new? Eventually, some of people got it, eventually it's not new anymore. Eventually, it becomes old. Like, who still has an iPhone 5 or iPhone 3 or iPhone 4? You do? The kids do. They don't, they don't even use it. Yesterday, side note, I heard Brooklyn pretending to play on her phone talking to me. So I turned the volume down in the, in the car. She's like, Dad, I'm a teenager. I can do what I want. That's what you're saying on this phone. It's like, oh, gosh, I'm in trouble. Anyways, no one still has those. No one here is using an iPhone 5, most likely, right? We aren't doing that. No one at home is doing that. Um, my Dodge Caliber that I was so excited about, um, it just kept breaking down and breaking and breaking until the, the driving shaft disintegrated. I don't really know what that means. I just know you don't want to hear the word disintegrated when it comes to your So I had to get rid of it. Disintegrated. And then um, our townhouse that we were so excited about, we had a kid, then we had two kids, and then all of a sudden by kid number three, we were like, this is the smallest house anyone's ever lived in. How can we live in this house? It was so small. We had so much stuff. All of a sudden, what is new eventually becomes old. And for a lot of us, our faith can do the same thing. What was once new and fresh and bringing us so much joy and so much happiness can start to feel old or disconnected or meaningless. Then we start to question things about our faith, like, did we even actually have it? Because why should my faith feel old and disconnected and, and feel like it isn't relevant to me anymore? We hear that the old is gone and the new is here, but when the new is gone, is it because the old was never here? Is it because that I never actually had it in the first place? And many of us think this because there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect. Maybe we think this because we think of our faith as this destination that we are going to one day reach. And we finally reached it, and we're there, and we're good. But maybe that's not what our faith is supposed to be. Maybe our faith is not a destination to reach, but it's a process in which we live. That's why in Revelations, God says it this way. He says, I am making everything new. Revelations 21, chapter, verse 5. I am making everything new. That I am in the process of making everything new. Being new is not about reaching a goal. Being new is about living in His will daily. It's about God constantly making you new. God is constantly reaching out to you. He's constantly coming after you so that you can continue to be made new in Him. It is a process. Our faith is not about getting this new thing called salvation in the same way we buy something new. In fact, I think a better illustration than buying something new when it comes to our faith is uh, refurbishment. You know what it means to refurbish something, right? You take something that's old, that doesn't work as well, that was maybe about to go in the trash, you fix it up, and you make it new again. That's what refurbishment is. So you've had technology that is refurbished. It was old, it wasn't working, someone came and fixed it and made it new. But what we see a lot is furniture. We'll see furniture that was once old and is then made new. That it was about to be in the trash, it was about to be gone, but somebody took it fix it up, and made it alive again, made it brand new. I've seen china cabinets, I've seen chairs, I've seen dressers, and I've especially seen tables that are completely refurbished and made new. And that is what Christ has come to do for us, to not give you just this gift of salvation that you finally got it, you have it, you're good now, see you later, but to constantly work on renewing and making you 
new, just like we refurbish and bring something back to life. And I think that the best analogy and the best use that Christ gave when it came to this idea of making us new is the table. Is the table. Did you ever think about the significance of your dining room table? Of like the things that have happened at your dining room. This is actually Erica and I's old dining room table. It never looked this pretty, but underneath this was the old dining room table that um, our kids now draw on. There's markers everywhere on this. But I was thinking this week of all the things that we have done at this table. Um, When Eric and I first got married, this is our dining room table, so we would eat dinner here every night, just us two, unless we were watching a movie or going out to eat, or unless we are watching TV and eating stuff there or going out to eat, we would eat here. This would, we had, we got to know each other as a brand new married couple here at this table. Um, This is the table that uh, Erica and I told my family and her family that uh, she was pregnant. I actually had a video of it that I was going to pull up. I couldn't find it, and I wasn't allowed to go on Facebook to pull it up. So I'll try to find it and share it. But this is the table. I remember everyone was sitting there, and we gave them a picture frame, and the picture was a picture of myself, and it had a plus, and then Erica, and then it equaled three. (laughs) Haha, get it? three of us, um, and uh, they grabbed it, and they literally screamed when they figured it out. At first, they were like, couldn't figure it out, because I guess her family's not that smart. And so they were looking at it like, what does this mean? And they figured it out, and they screamed. They were so excited. It was the first grandchild on both sides. This was the table that we told them that. Um, this table was the table that we met with so many couples when we started Impact Church. We had people come over. Um, some of you that are here or some of you that are watching, we met with you at this table. and We talked about the mission and vision of Impact Church and what we were thinking about doing. And at this table, there were people that decided, you know what, we're going to join on this journey with you at this table. Uh, we've had Valentine's Day at this table. Um, and, and then even when we were still living in the townhouse, we spent time with our family, with our kids at this table. We got to know our kids in a, in a deeper way. We asked them about what things are going on in their life. This is a table that we would put our phones away and we would just sit there and talk with our family. And every dining room table has a story like that. Your dining room table has those things. If you start to think about what you've done at that dining room table, there's things and events that are around this table. And there's something to inviting somebody over to your house, making them a homemade meal, and having them sit at your dining room table that just brings some type of connection. Some, some refreshed family atmosphere that the table brings. And Jesus understood the importance of the table. At the end of his ministry, right before he was about to um, be crucified and arrested and crucified and, and come back to life, himself and the 12 disciples sat at a table. Uh, they wouldn't have sat in chairs. The table probably would have been a lot lower. They would have sat on the ground. And they were celebrating the Passover meal. That's what they were celebrating, the Passover meal. They, at this meal, they were celebrating the times, if you read Exodus, um, you know the, the story of when the Spirit passed by the homes that um, painted the, the lamb, the blood of the lamb on their door frames, passed by those homes. And they didn't know that this exact same thing was about to happen because Jesus was going to be the lamb that was sacrificed for all people. So they're celebrating and they're remembering, they're reflecting that. And in John, we get a firsthand account of the Passover meal. So if you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 13. I'm going to read straight through it, uh, verse 18 through 30. And at this meal, at this table, this, this meal that we're going to be talking about throughout this entire series, something happens where Jesus talks about something that really makes it awkward in the room. He says something that 
um, just kind of puts a damper on the entire celebration. Here's what he says, starting in verse 18. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another and a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the, disciples, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus had said this. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give some to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. It's kind of a mood killer, isn't it? Like they're sitting here at this table, they're about to eat, they're celebrating the Passover, they celebrate it every year, it's a Jewish tradition. And he says, hey, by the way, um, these three years of ministry has been great, but it's about to end because one of you is about to betray me. It kind of deflates everything a little bit. So John, who wrote this firsthand account, um, who is described as the one that Jesus loved, is sitting right there. And Simon goes to John and says, hey, find out who it is. We want to know because, I mean, if someone's going to betray you, we want to find out who it is. Who is it going to be? And so John says, hey, Jesus, who's it going to be? And Jesus takes the bread, he dips it into the cup, and he says, whoever I give this to is going to be the one that betrays me, gives it to Judas. You probably know the rest of the story. But if something about that meal and this table that I believe we can learn but how we become new in Christ. How we become new. Because what happens at the table and who is invited to the table really shows how we can be new. So who is invited to this table in this example? There's four examples I'm going to give you. There's 12 people at this table, but I'm going to give you four people that were invited to this table. First one, one who loved Jesus. In the Gospel of John, um, John never calls himself John. He never refers to himself that way. Instead, he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. So it's, it's a little arrogant if you ask me, because he always says, hey, I'm the one that you really love. But it's true, because Jesus had a big group of people that were following him, but then Jesus also had a small group of 12 people that were really close with him. And out of those 12, he had three that were like his prime people. That's John, that's Peter, and that's James. And then out of those three, he had a special kind of love for John. He had a special type of love for John, almost like his best friend. That's why when Peter is curious of, of who is going to betray, he says, John, you ask him. You're like his best friend. You're like the guy. So like you ask him because he's going to respond best to you. That's why he does that. And in fact, when Jesus is crucified, John's the only one that shows up. None of the other disciples were even there watching. John is the only one that was there. And at the table with Jesus is one of Jesus' closest friends, is someone who loves him, a friend who truly loves him, a friend who doesn't just leave when it gets hard. In fact, when he's about to be crucified, John is there watching it. John loved Jesus, a friend who believes in him. 
And for some of us, that's us. We are that person. We are the one who loved Jesus. That is us. You do love him. You do your absolute best to show that you love him. Try to follow him in everything you do. The fasting thing, you're killing the fasting thing because you want to show God you love him. So if I got to sacrifice something or if I got to give something back to you, which is really what fasting is, then I'm willing to do it because I love my faith and I love my God. That's some, of you, some of us, that, that's us in the room. But I don't want you to miss this. If that's you, you aren't invited to this table because you love him. You're invited because he loved you first. We need to understand that. Because for some of us, when we're in this category, it's easy for us to think, yeah, I'm invited to this table because I'm really good. I go to church all the time. I, I read my Bible. I'm, I'm fasting really well. Yeah, I love him. I'm, I believe in this very strongly, so of course I'm invited to this table. No, we're not invited for that reason. We're invited first because he loved us. So we can go to church for so long that it kind of starts to feel common. We can go to church where like the sacred starts to become ordinary. If you've been in church world a long time, you've, this table illustration is not a new illustration. You've probably already seen this. You kind of know what's going on. You know the drill. You know Easter's coming. We're going to talk about the resurrection. We're going to do an altar call. You know, you get it. You've done this for a long time. It's easy for us when we are in this category to just get so used to it that we don't see the, the amazing grace that is offered to us constantly because we start to think, well, yeah, I love him. So, of course, I'm invited to the table. But you're not the only one that's invited to the table. Who else was invited to this table? One who questioned Jesus. At this table was a guy named Thomas. You probably know him by his nickname. What's his nickname? Doubting Thomas, which I feel bad for Thomas for this because the man doubted one time, and now all of a sudden for the rest of eternity, he is known as Doubting Thomas. Listen, Frank doubted Lamar Jackson was going to be good the first year. I don't call him Doubting Frank for the rest of his life. I do call him Bad Take Frank, though. That is my nickname for him. I don't call him Doubting Frank just because he doubted that one time. And he was really wrong. So <laughs> Thomas is here. Thomas who doubted him. And I get it. Thomas had doubts. Thomas, the reason why he had doubts is because Thomas really believed that Jesus died because he saw what happened. He saw the crucifixion and he really truly believed that, that Jesus was dead. He's gone. He's not coming back. So when someone says, hey, he's back, Thomas went, there's no way. He's, I saw him. I, I, he died. I heard it. He's dead. He's gone. There's no way he is not coming back. And they said, no, no, he's here. He said, okay, the only way I'm going to believe it is if I see his hands. It's the only way. Then when I see that, I'll believe it. I get it. I get why Thomas doubted. It makes sense. Thomas had questions and he had doubts for sure. But he was also courageous enough to speak out and to speak up about his doubts. And when Jesus showed up and showed his hands and answered his questions for him, Jesus didn't say, all right, now get out because you doubted me hey, get out, you're done. You need to believe me at all times. Get out of here. No, he was still part. He was still an integral part of his community. And here at the table before it's all crucified, Jesus knows that Thomas who's sitting at the table is going to say, yeah, I don't believe him. I don't believe that. I, I doubt that. I get it. Some of us have doubts in this room. We're not sure if we believe this stuff. We're not sure if, if, if this is all true, we have a lot of questions, and some of us, we just ignore the questions because we're afraid if we go after those questions, it's going to lead us down a path that we don't want to go down. I get it. There are times in my life, as your pastor, 
that if I had to put a percentage on my faith on how much I believed it, it'd be 100%. This is, I 100% believe this is true. I 100% believe in Jesus. I, under, I 100% believe there's a God out there. There are times in my life where I believe that. But if I'm being honest, there are times where I'm at 52%. I think I believe this stuff still. Yeah, I think, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure about it. And then if I'm being really honest, there are times where I have questions and I have struggles and I have doubts and there are times where I feel like I'm at like 27%. I guess I still believe this. I, I, I guess I do. It's me. And I'm invited to this table just like you are invited to this table. I don't stay in my faith because all of my questions have been answered. It's not why I stay. I stay because of the table. I stay because of the fellowship that I have with the Creator. Jesus invites you to the table even with your doubts. Who else did Jesus invite? The one who denied him. I think about this. Think about the person that Jesus invited, which is Peter, who denies him. They're at this table, and while they're there, they are um, doing their Passover meal, and then Jesus says, hey, just so you know, this is about to happen. I'm about to go and be crucified, and all of you are going to leave me. All of you are going to... And Peter said, no, no, not me. I would never do that. And the Jesus said, no, not only will you do it, you're going to do it three times. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Then he goes and he's arrested, and Peter is watching all of this happen. You probably know this story. Peter is watching all this happen, and then he sees what's happening to Jesus. He sees they're doing all these false accusations against him, and Peter, someone says, hey, you're with him. Peter says, no, no, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. It's once. No, no, hold on. I I know you. You were definitely with him. You're you're one of his disciples. Nope, that's not me. I would never do, nope, that's not me. And the third time, it says that he cursed down from heaven. He's cussing up a storm, telling everybody how he wasn't there. Denies him three times. Here's the rooster's crow. He realizes what he does, that Jesus said, you're going to deny me. And he realizes it happens. Jesus dies, comes back to life, and then he's not at the grave. Jesus said he was going to come back. Wasn't, shouldn't have been a surprise. He spoiled it many times. Said, hey, just so you know, I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back to life three days later. And no one was there waiting for him, especially Peter. So Peter actually, instead of waiting by the gravesite, instead of believing what Jesus said, Peter went back to his old life. He was a fisherman. He went back to fish. So he's back on the boat, and Jesus eventually goes ashore and sees him. Peter sees Jesus. He comes back. They have a meal together. Again, fellowship meal. And at that meal, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, I, I do. He says, all right, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Of course I do. Feed my sheep. Third time, Peter, do you love me? Gee, of course I do. Feed my sheep. Why does he do that three times? Here's why. For all the times that Peter denied, Jesus had just as much grace. You cannot outsin his grace. Peter denied Jesus. Peter, Jesus knew it was going to happen, and Peter was still invited to fellowship at the table, even though he denied him. A lot of us wouldn't say we deny him. Here's why I think that. Um, people that deny that Jesus is who he is normally aren't at church. There's some, right? Some of you might be that way, but most of the time if you're like, yeah, I don't believe this, then you don't go to church. Why? You can go to brunch instead. Why would you waste your time? Sometimes, they, sometimes you might come. Sometimes you might be watching from home, but for a lot of us, that's not us. We think, well, this is not me. I don't deny this. I believe all this stuff. I'm here, but here's the thing. For a lot of us, 
We don't deny it with our words. We deny it with our actions. Yeah, we say we believe Him. Yeah, we say that we trust Him. Yeah, we say all of it, but what we show in our life says the complete opposite. I can say that I love my wife. I can say that she deserves for me to sacrifice for her, but what I say doesn't matter unless I actually sacrifice. My actions can deny it, but even though I say certain things. But Jesus gives the equivalent amount of grace for those that deny Him. And then, who else is invited to this table? This one's the craziest one, and you know this one. We already talked about it. Judas is invited. He's the one who betrayed Jesus. Jesus didn't just figure out that Jesus is going to betray him at the table and go, oh no, he's at this table, we got to get him out of here. Jesus knew the whole time that Jesus was going to betray him. He understood the whole time. Judas walked with Jesus every day. Judas saw with his own eyes Jesus perform miracles. Judas heard all of Jesus' teachings. Judas was with Jesus constantly, but yet Judas missed it. Judas never truly understood who Jesus was. See, Judas was too greedy for for money. Judas lusted after power. Judas didn't even want really a seat at this table. He wanted a seat at a better table, at a table with power. This table is a table of sacrifice. I, I want a table of power. So for 30 pieces of silver, he betrayed the person he spent every day with. And what's interesting about the 30 pieces of silver In the Jewish tradition, the Jewish custom, um, in the Old Testament, if your cattle or your ox accidentally ran over someone else's servant, the amount you would have to pay for killing someone else's servant is 30 pieces of silver. And Judas, for the same amount, betrays the servant of Jesus. See, Jesus was a servant before He was our Savior. At this exact table we're going to talk about next week, He washes disciples' feet. So, Jesus, so Judas, for 30 pieces of silver, betrayed the servant who would eventually become the Savior. Judas and Peter, they're pretty similar. They both do something terrible. Peter denies, Judas betrays. Both made mistakes that hurt Jesus. But what's the difference between those two? Peter allowed the forgiveness of Christ to take away the guilt. You can just imagine the guilt had. He denied him three times that Jesus died. It's got to be a lot of guilt. Be allowed the forgiveness to take away his guilt. Where Judas took the weight of his guilt on his own instead of accepting the grace that was right there for him. And ultimately, it led him to kill himself. The weight of his sin was just way too much to bear. But Jesus invites those who betray him to the table. Here's why that's important. If Jesus didn't, none of us would be at the table. Because this is all of us. If he didn't invite people that betrayed him, then there would be no one at the table. All of us have sinned and fallen short. The weight of our sin is too much for us to bear. But Jesus invites you so that he can take the sin away from you. See, Jesus makes us new by inviting you to the table. That's how he makes you new. Jesus makes you new by inviting you to the table. Sin destroys. Sin kills. Sin takes us away from him. But in Christ, we are new. We aren't new because we stop sinning. We are new because God doesn't see our sin when we accept the sacrifice Christ made on the cross for us. So out of the people... 
that we're at this table, who do you find yourself relating to the most? Is it the one that loved Jesus, John? If that's you, then guess what? You're invited to the table. Maybe it's a person who questioned Jesus. You have questions. You're invited to the table. Maybe it's the one who denied Jesus. You might not deny him with your words, but with what you act like, you deny him. You're invited. Maybe you're the one who betrayed Jesus, like I am. You are invited. When, um, when John asked Jesus who was going to betray him, I don't know if you noticed, but Jesus didn't just point to Judah and say, that's him. Instead, he took the bread and he broke it and he dipped it into the wine and then he took it and gave it to Judah said, the one I give this to is the one who's going to betray me. And I've always read that and thought, why? Why don't you just tell him? Why do you have to do that little sign? So this week I was trying to figure out why, why he did that. And here's what I learned this week. In the Jewish tradition, the giving of the dipped bread, the bread that you tear off and dip into the wine and give it to somebody, the giving of that uh, was a designation of special honor. It was like a toast at a banquet, if you think of like going to a wedding and a toast. It was honor to somebody. It was a mark of courtesy, of esteem, of love. It was a mark of honor to somebody. Jesus, knowing who Judas was, knowing what Judas was about to do, still showed Judas love and grace. Jesus knew Judas was against him, yet Jesus' love and his goodness for Judas seemed to increase and not become less. That even at a time where Judas is about to betray his friend, Jesus is still offering grace and showing Judas there is a better way. Jesus was about to show sacrificial love by sacrificing himself on a cross for all people, and that included Judas. And at the table, Jesus showed love for an enemy by honoring him with the bread. And Jesus, giving that bread is like him offering forgiveness. It's giving Judas that opportunity again to repent. Judas, you don't have to do this. There's a better way because my body and my blood is enough for you. And Jesus has the same message for you. You are invited to have fellowship with your creator. That no matter what your past is, no matter your betrayal, no matter your questions, no matter your denials, no matter who you are, you are invited. His death on a cross gives you the opportunity to have fellowship with him. You are invited to seat at the table. You are invited to be made new. So the way we're going to close today is the way we're going to close each week. I'm going to ask the worship team, you guys come on up. But we're going to close each week until um, Easter by having communion together. Just like they would have at the Passover meal, we're going to do the same thing. Again, communion is a way for us to reflect on the grace that we have through his sacrificial love, through his death on a cross, for his body breaking and his blood pouring out for us. It's us remembering and reflecting 
of what he has done for us. That no matter who we are, whoever we are, we are invited to this table. And by taking communion, we are understanding that. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. And again, some housekeeping things. We've said this before, but you don't have to be an owner here at Impact to take communion. You do not have to be a regular attender. We just ask that you are a follower of Jesus and you understand what you are doing and what you're partaking in. Um, if, if you don't feel comfortable doing it, you do not have to, but I encourage you, if, if that is you, your apologies, this is an opportunity for you to reflect on the fact that you are invited to the table. And by it being invited, you are being made new. You are new because of that. So I'm going to ask you, there's going to be people in the back. You're at home. Um, uh, you can show up any week, and we will give you as many of those as you need for the rest of the series. Um, but while this song is going, I want to encourage you to t- go to the back, um, grab your communion elements. You can go ahead and open it, but do not take it yet. We will do that together. And I want you to take this song and this time to reflect on what you heard, to reflect on what God is speaking to you. So before we take communion today, um, you can go ahead and do that and take a seat, and we will take it together. Let's sing and let's take communion together.